Welcome to Scarlet Tavern. Grab a drink, take a seat, and let's begin. Tonight, we step into the dark and mysterious world of Colonial Massachusetts, where fear, suspicion, and superstition converge to create a chilling chapter in history. In this episode, we journey back to the Salem Witch Trials, time when paranoia and accusations ignited a wave of hysteria. Join us as we explore the events, the people, and the haunting legacy of this haunting period in American history. This is Scarlet Tavern. Mead, murder, and more. Alright. Yeah. So, we are back with the Salem Witch Trial. So, time of this recording is November 1st, so... Just after Halloween, we figured let's do one Halloween episode, do the Salem Witch Trials. Yeah. Um, we're going to be jumping around a little bit, talking about different, some lesser-known facts, some uh, people that may not have been known, things like that. Um, so, I find the Salem Witch Trials very interesting. Uh, they are a very overlooked part of history. Um, they're not, it's not talked about all that much in school. Like, you hear about the Salem Witch Trials, but nobody ever goes into death with it. Most most people think it was all women that were killed, but there was actually, in history, from what they can account today, there's at least 600 men that were killed. And oh. a few children. Oh, yeah. It was, it was a pretty widespread thing. I mean, uh, really... This is, when people think of a witch hunt in American, like, the American psyche, this is one of the first things they go to. You know, it was, yeah. it was pretty, it started off pretty innocuous, just a small group of small children making pretty outlandish um, accusations, and it just, like anything else, anything else, everybody decided to put their own two cents in, and their own little personal baggage, and it just expanded. Well, and it was also, like, so... Obviously, we're we're talking about a very long time ago, before there was the medicines that we have now and things like that. So a lot of people were doing herbal remedies to stop sicknesses and things like that. And of course, we're talking about plagues back then. Mm -hmm. And so people are using herbal remedies, and those people are were seen as witches and were burned at the stake for it. And there's also a lot of uh, social things along with it. A lot of the people initially talk about exactly. And initially, some of the people who were initially accused of were people who were just not very well like yeah. vagabonds, beggars. Uh, I think there was some widows in there. There's it's a lot of people who just they. Nobody was like, oh yeah, there are witches. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Just yeah. how, look how they live. So, the first thing we're going to talk about is a few lesser-known facts about the Salem Witch Trials. The first one is witches' tests could not be passed. Witch tests were a relic of the witch trials in Europe, which peaked during the medieval era, but continued when Massachusetts accused its witches. Clergymen conceived the tests, and the accused witches would be tested until they failed, proving their practice of witchcraft. There was no way around the test, and no one could pass every test. One of the most famous tests of the Salem Witch Trials was the swimming test. This is the one everybody knows about. The idea was centered around the purity of water. 
If the accused floated, they were guilty, as the water was thought to reject evil. If they sank, they were deemed innocent, but often drowned. While the swimming test was quite well known, more obscure and fantastical witch tests were often used against those accused in Salem. This included the witch cake test, the touch test, the incantation test, and the weight test. And we're going to go into each one of those. But Never heard of a cake test. Oh yeah, it's interesting. So, But that swimming test funny enough is a lot of them would also tie bricks to the witches and if if they um if they sank they were innocent but if they were able to escape the brick and float they were witches i i really and a did lot nobody people, ever question this well, a lot like, of people hey. believe that's where the mob got the whole tying the brick to the feet thing yeah, yeah. It's from this. That there was probably somebody that cement knew about the witch trials and they did the cement shoes. They probably just carried on and onward, probably. Yeah. Probably adapted yeah. Yeah, as the years went on. Um, so, the witch cake test. This was likely the strangest given to Salem's accused witches. It was, in most cases, impossible to pass this test as any creature would likely suffer adverse effects by being force-fed a cake laced with bodily fluid. Essentially, the witch was told to bake a cake with their victim's urine and feed said cake to a dog. Dogs were considered faithful to witches as familiars, so if the dog suffered adverse effects and the effects of the afflicted continued, it proved the accused guilty of witchcraft. Okay, that makes no sense to me. First of all, I mean, I thought cats were familiars with witches, not dogs. It's both. I mean, it's really any animal. So, a witch, so... Believe it or not, people, um, this this may shock you, but witches still exist to this day. Um, uh, they are not op- as open because of this, because it's believed that another Salem will happen. But I think people are easily they're speak up a lot better nowadays, and it will if Salem witch trial another Salem witch trials happens, it will not end well. Um, for the accusers, <laughs> but yeah, any any animal can be a familiar. Um, I know I know plenty of people who have dog familiars. Um, I mean, you can have a bird familiar. You it, basically any anything that you are connected with. It doesn't have to be a cat. Yes, that's what we see in culture and media and stuff like that. Um, the black cat is, and that actually comes from Samhain and, uh, there's a black cat named, named Sith, um, where if you leave milk on your doorstep, it brings good luck on, uh, Halloween. So that's where that comes from. Um, so the touch test was simple. The accused witch was ordered to touch their victim, and if the victim felt pain, the accused was considered guilty. Likewise, the incantation test dictated that if an accused witch asked the devil to remove the afflictions of their alleged victims, and the victims were cured, the accused was guilty. It is easy in hindsight to see how the alleged victims used these tests to their advantage. They could lie with abandon, and the witch would still appear guilty. Yeah, this seems very... Very. This is this is a very. It's a one-sided. It is. It's very. I mean, 
Yeah, I, I really shocked nobody spoke out about this. I mean, they can't, if somebody had to have been smart, it would be like, how do you know they're not lying? Well, and people that did were considered witches. Nah. So they were burned too. Finally, the least foolproof was the weight test. Witches were thought to be impossibly light. And the courts would weigh the accused against the Bible. They were a witch if they were more lightweight than the Bible, which they never were. If they weighed more than the book, which they always did, the court simply moved on to another test, citing the malicious power of the devil for maligning the weight test. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think it was pretty... I can see, honestly, why a lot of some of these poor people would probably confess to it, because, I mean, even going through one test, you can realize... It's pretty clear to anybody, they want me guilty. They just... They're going to find a way... They're going to find a way to do it. I mean... So, contrary to popular belief, no one was actually burned at the stake at Salem. Um, I heard that, yes. So, when somebody thinks about the Salem witch trials, everybody believes that witches were all burned at the stake. That's pretty common. But this actually comes from European witch trials, which were at a completely different time. Uh, Being burned at the stake was an age-old punishment reserved for heretics. Joan of Arc was burned at the stake as were several thousand others accused of heresy during the Middle Ages. And funny enough, Joan of Arc was burned to the stake not for being a witch, but for talking with God. Yes. Because nobody believed that a woman could be a prophet of God, let alone I think a the, warrior of God. I, I think the... Joan of Arc being one of the most famous. Yeah, I, I think the British were just pissed that they were getting their asses handed to them by, by, a, by, a, by a peasant French girl. And she was a badass. We will actually... I'm sh- I know Ben loves Joan of Arc, so we will do an episode on Joan of Arc. Um, so, the tradition continued throughout Europe for several hundred years into the 18th century, funny enough. 18th century. Mm-hmm. Guys, that is right around the forming of America. Yeah. Um, no, this, this style of execution is commonly thought of in conjunction with witch trials because out of the tens of thousands of witch executions in Europe, many were burned at the stake. However, in Salem, no execution was carried out by burning the accused alive. The majority were executed by hanging, and one, a man named Giles Corey, was crushed under rocks until he died. Many more accused witches either died in prison or were pardoned. As many of the women accused were pregnant, they were often given a stay of execution or acquitted. Two babies, Sarah Good's daughter and Elizabeth Proctor's son, were born while their mothers were in prison. However, Mercy... Good's daughter died sometime before her mother's execution. She was killed. Yeah. Um, now, I believe we're going to be talking about Giles Corey a yes. little bit, but I just want to say, of all... I, I have sympathy, but Giles Corey, to me, is probably the... Of all the victims on here, he's the more badass of the victims, and just how he went out and everything. We'll talk. I won't spoil it now, but we'll talk about it. But. Yeah. This is a man to respect, in my opinion. So the youngest accused witch was four years old. While most of the accused witches were adults, even elderly adults, one exception is Dorothy Good. Dorothy was four or five when she was charged and arrested for witchcraft. Her mother, Sarah Good, was an accused witch who would be one of the women executed by hanging for her supposed devil worship. Dorothy was said to be animalistic and deranged, traits she acquired from consorting with the devil. Despite probably having no idea what was happening, little Dorothy confessed to her supposed crimes when questioned by the magistrates. 
Her testimony that she had seen her mother with Satan also served as a confession, which allowed the court to detain her. Dorothy spent seven months in prison, was released on bond after admission. Her mother was hanged while Dorothy was in jail. So, this little girl probably had a mental disorder. Or she was just acting out like every other four-year-old. Yeah, and they got her as a witch, probably because they hated her mother. I think we're going to find, I think everybody will find, is that when you really, is we're going to go into it, you really deep, delve deep into this, a lot of personal vendettas were kind of aired out. And were, were played a really big part in it, you know. It seemed like everybody was just like, oh yeah, 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 you stand accused of this, you did all this to me, this. You're a witch. It's like, okay, uh, sure, yeah, I'm a witch. Never mind that we have a land dispute our, over our shared properties, yada, 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 and this is a very convenient way for you to get my property. Yeah, yeah. I'm a witch, sure. So, here, here's one of the funny ones. The courts allowed spectral testimonies. So, God. the evidence used against accused witches were wholly circumstantial. No one could actually produce Satan to appear in court, and the supposed victims had no proof beyond their word. This meant that spectral evidence was admissible in the Salem witch trials. Spectral evidence relied on the victim's testimony that they had seen the accused in the form of their spirit or their shape, and that they had harmed the victims in this astral manner as the accused could provide no alibi for their spirit. Thus, most of the evidence used against the accused witches was spectral. Victims claimed the witch's spirit attacked them, and the courts admitted these attacks as evidence. Many ministers at the time, such as the father and son duo uh, Increase and Cotton Mather, disagreed over their use of spectral evidence. Increase Mather denounced its use, not because it wasn't possible, but because the devil could use anyone's spirit to do harm. Cotton Mather, his son, believed the spectral evidence was helpful because Satan could only inhabit the spirits of his cohorts. However, he extolled the use of supporting evidence in addition to spectral evidence. Eventually, spectral evidence was outlawed in the Salem courts, which overturned many convictions, allowed several accused witches to go free, and hastened the end of the trials. Probably because enough actual learned clergies would probably heard this and were like, what in God's name is going on in Salem? Because you got to understand, folks, I mean, we th you think of Massachusetts today, Boston and everything, but and it's a really, obviously, built-up area. But back then, Salem, or Danvers, as it's called today, um, this is very much very rural and backwoods of Massachusetts. So Boston is very much... Um, I, little in fact, I used to live in the Boston area, so I've been, I've driven and worked in the whole areas where the Salem Witch Trial happened. Every which way, been to the witch's house, been to the witch's house and everything. There's really, unfortunately, there's not a lot of history left of this time period. Um, thank you, modern society, for destroying all our history. Um, but, even today, driving from Danvers, Salem area to Boston is it's it, it, it's a hike. It's about a thirty minute drive. Imagine trying to get there with just horse and buggy on dirt or unpaved road. So a lot of this if is if you have the money. If you yeah, yeah. otherwise you're walking. Yeah. So this is very much a isolated area where yes they have access to the outside outside world and everything, but you really gotta have to walk to get there. So a lot of this is happening in a vacuum yeah. and once really honestly once word started getting to boston and that's other that's when it 
it's it because then everyone was like, "What's going on here?" And they were like, "Nothing." Are y'all? And they're like, uh, "Have y'all gone insane?" Yeah, pretty much. It, it really, it really almost kind of went like that. Um, so most of the accusers were children, while many accused witches turn on one another. Those who were quote unquote afflicted or victimized by the supposed witches were relatively young. The first accusers were Elizabeth Paris and Abigail Williams, age nine and eleven. The girls were the daughter and niece of Puritan minister Reverend Samuel Paris. And when they fell ill, they blamed their symptoms on an enslaved woman in Paris's household named Tatuba. Many other young women followed suit, the oldest being twenty. They accused supposed witches of afflicting them with all manner of symptoms. In reality, if the accusers were sick, it was due to contaminated drinking water rather than sorcery. The reasons for accusing their neighbors were possibly neighborly spats or illnesses they could not understand. Many accused also turned on their neighbors, believing they may have been spared if they diverted the magistrate's attention to others. So this is where, as I said before, this is where the personal vendettas are coming yeah. in. They're, everybody's taking the opportunity to um, settle scores and everything and settle vendettas against your neighbors and everything. And, I mean, you probably had the, the young teen girl gets pregnant and doesn't want her daddy to know about it, that she did this. So, oh, it was a witch. A witch mm -hmm. impregnated me. Or um, the they ate something they weren't supposed to. The witch yeah. made me do it. It, it. There's there's all kinds of things. And, of course, we also have to remember the power of suggestion. These are children. Yeah. And I mean, those two, they're... Their father was a Puritan pastor. There, there is no one more judgmental than the Puritans. Yep, I just stick in the muds. Yeah, um, the trials only stopped when a governor's wife was accused. Oh, I would love to have been a fly on the wall in the governor's mansion when that accusation reached him. So, the governor of Massachusetts Bay Colony at the time of the Salem witch trials was William Phipps. His close relationship with a few ministers and wealthy community members made his entanglement in the trials unavoidable. Still, it seems that Phipps mostly washed his hands of the hysteria and distanced himself from those in change. However, he did not disallow his officials to continue their inquest. One of the officials was Phipps' lieutenant governor, William Staunton, a very famous person in the Salem Witch Trials, also named chief justice of the investigation into the Salem's accused witches. Stalton was known for the speedy trials and quick extensions, bucking the traditions of the time. Stalton was encouraged by the church to be cautious yet swift in his convictions, which he took to heart. Stalton was not only bloodthirsty, but powerful. He took over most of Phipps' ex executive powers, while the governor assisted in the fortification of Maine and the colony's defense against French and Native American incursion. When Phipps returned from Maine, he found his lieutenant governor had made quite a mess of things executing 20 people and condemning eight more during the week week that Phipps returned. Staunton had ordered the digging of graves for eight newly accused witches. These accusations increased well beyond eight, and the higher-profile colonists were being accused of witchcraft, including Phipps' wife. When Phipps learned of the allegations against his wife, he finally decreed that spectral evidence would not be permitted in the Salem Witch Trials. The eight witches Staunton had planned to convict were cleared, and the lieutenant governor abandoned his post. Soon after, in February 1693, all accused witches were pardoned and released from prison by May. So, this is also another thing that most people don't seem to realize about this. Uh, very, the, the, the witch trials were also very political. 
Stalin was a very ambitious politician. The governor was very... I mean, he had a lot of other things on his mind, as they, as they, um, as we can see. The um, this isn't quite around the time of the French and Indian War, but a lot of the um, political tensions that England and France are going through are sim are starting to spill over into the colonies. Now, Maine at this point is actually a colony of Massachusetts. It's not its own separate colony, so. It was always considered backwater, so Stoughton, again, he took advantage. He thought this was his chance to usurp um, the and use, use the hysteria of this crisis to propel him. I wouldn't be surprised if he was going to accuse, he accused the governor's wife or had somebody, he his allies, accused the governor's wife, wife of this in order to embarrass him, force his resignation, and hey... Guess who gets to be in charge of Massachusetts Bay Colony now? So, yeah. uh, fortunately for everybody involved, um, Fifth probably knew his wife better than anybody and realized it's like, yeah, no, my wife is not a witch, and he put and he, you know, dropped the hammer on this and forced every forced it all to end because I'm sure once he realized, once he got back from from Maine, he realized. What a mess Stoughton had made of it. And he really did. 20 people dead in the first week. It's like, whoa, God, I, my, they're all going to turn on me now. Yeah. Because really, because honestly, at this point, at this point, in the, when the, by the end of the Salem Witch Trial, they, they killed every, you know, quote, I'm using the quotes here, the, the dregs and degenerates of the Massachusetts Bay Society. Now they're going to well more established people. They're just making this. They really are just making this shit up. Yeah. And now the ordinary folks are like, uh, okay, hold on now. We're we're not witches. So I'm sure the governor Phipps was like, oh my god, if I don't stop this, I'm gonna have a rebellion on my hand. Oh yeah. Freaking American Revolutionary War starts uh, about sixty years a little sixty years early. Uh, Alright, so the next is most of the accused were women, but men were accused and executed too. When the first accusations of witchcraft began in Salem Village, they initially targeted women. Tatuba, an enslaved person born to a South American indigenous tribe, became the first person accused of witchcraft in Salem after Betty, the daughter of the Salem's minister, Samuel Paris, began acting erratically. In fact, the first people accused of bewitching Betty were all women. Tatuba, a beggar named Sarah Good, and Sarah Osborne, an older woman who had not attended church for a year. And the first person executed for witchcraft during the trials was also a woman. But men were accused and executed as well. One man, Giles Corey, was killed over three days as an increasingly heavier rocks were set atop his body. Now, a little bit about Giles Corey. Um, so he was born in Northampton, England. He was baptized in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre um, in 1611. He was, uh, his birth was recorded in the parish records. Um, let's see. It's not certain when he arrived in North America, but there's evidence he was living in Salem Town as early as 1640. He originally lived in Salem Town, but later moved to nearby Salem Village, now Danvers, to work as a farmer. Um... So, there are quite a few entries in court documents for which he was charged and confessed, mainly petty theft. Charges range from sleeping on watch and once having his weapon stolen from him while doing so, 
collecting a canoe load of firewood while on watch and stealing food, tobacco, knives, and several other small items. Despite these charges, he was a prosperous landowning farmer in Salem and married three times. He's believed to have married his first wife, Margaret, in England, uh, who was the eldest of their four children, uh, who, who was the mother of his eldest four children. His second wife was Mary Bright. Um, they had a son. And then... In 1676, he was brought to trial and charged with murder in Essex County, Massachusetts for beating to death one of his indentured farm workers, Jacob Goodall, uh, son of Robert and Catherine Goodall and brother to Isaac Goodall. According to witnesses, Corey had several had severely beaten Goodall with a stick after he was allegedly caught stealing apples from Corey's brother-in-law. Though Corey eventually sent him to receive medical attention ten days later, Goodall died shortly thereafter. Jesus. Local coroner, as well as numerous witnesses and eyewitnesses, testified against Corey, including neighbor John Proctor, hmm. enough, who is going to be killed for a witch as well, um, who testified that he heard Corey admit he had beaten Goodall. Since corporal punishment was permitted against indentured servants, Corey was exempt from charge of murder. Instead, was charged with using unreasonable force for which he was found guilty and fined. Um, Corey's neighbor, John Proctor, also accused Corey of arson of his home. Later, one of Proctor's sons confessed. Corey's second wife, Mary Bright, died in 1864. Then he married his third wife. Um, So, Martha Corey, his third wife, was arrested for witchcraft in March 1692. Corey was so swept up by the trials that he initially believed the accusations against his wife until he himself was arrested based on the same charge on 18 April along with Mary Warren, Abigail Hobbs, and Bridget Bishop. The following day, they were examined by authorities during which Hobbs accused Giles of being a wizard. Giles denied the accusations and refused to plead guilty or not guilty, and was sentenced to prison, Hmm. and subsequently arraigned at the September sitting of the court. Um, And here is the official deposition. I saw the apparition of Giles Corey come and afflict me, urging me to write in his book, and so he continued most dreadfully to hurt me by times beating me and almost breaking my back till the day of his examination being the 19th April 1692, and then also during the time of his examination, he did afflict and torture me most grievously, and also several times since urging me vehemently to write in his book, and I verily believe in my heart that Giles Corey is a dreadful wizard, for since he had been in prison, he or his appearance has come and most grievously tormented me. Hmm. Yeah. And then he was killed by pressing. Basically rocks put on him until he was crushed to death. And I believe one of his last words he actually said to them was he, just before he more like he died, was one more. Yeah. So, like I said, he... He was a badass. Yeah, Giles Corey may may not have been the most pleasant man to deal with, but you know, he did... Keep in mind, he was also 80 years old when he was killed. Yeah. So... So... Which, and I think he un- back then, that's old. Yeah. And I think he understood that this was all bullshit, and everybody was just like, oh, well, they finally found a way to come and get me. Yeah. And again, as we stated, another executed man was John Proctor, a wealthy farmer, spoke out against the witch trials, particularly after his wife Elizabeth had been arrested for witchcraft. In response, John found himself accused as well. 
He attempted to save himself by writing to the clergy in Boston that mass hysteria had taken over the village, but they acted too slowly to save him. He was executed August 19, 1692. But he's the reason that the Salem Witch Trials stopped because of that letter. It finally reached the clergy in Boston, and they took their time, but they eventually got there because of his letter. So if he never would have sent that letter, who knows how long it would have taken them to stop the trials. Probably would have... Yeah, I mean, well really. into the late 1800s. Because think about it, the governor, even Governor Phipps is a big key in this because he comes back from Maine and his wife's accused and everything. If he doesn't have the backing of the clergy, the big clergy, like forget yeah. these country ministers in Salem and Andover and Billerica and all these other little towns where this was going on, if he doesn't have the backing of the clergy and the bigwigs in Boston, the people who sorry to say, actually matter. Yeah. Um, how's he going to stop Stoughton in his tracks and be like, we're done here? Stoughton can be like, oh, oh, I guess maybe the governor's in league with the devil as well. I mean, yeah. his wife clearly is in They're league. They're both witches. They're both witches, and then he just rides his, you know, yeah. and then he is there. But the gov- Phipps comes in, and it's like, yeah, we're done. Whoa, your wife's like, and now the cl- everybody in Boston who matters, it's like, like no. no, we're we're done here. Yeah. So, speaking of other towns, not everyone in Salem Witch Trials was from Salem Village. No. Um, now, it was the heart of the Witch Trials in 1692. The accused were from a couple dozen towns. Um, Andover being one of the big ones. Um, that one actually had a higher number of accused than Salem Village. 42 were accused in Andover versus 26 in Salem Village. Salem was where the more dramatic, more... Like Correct. the furthest, like the most dramatic, and like just the outrageous how far it went was in Salem. Yeah. Everybody in the area, like they, you've got Woburn, Manchester, Lynn, Malden, Reading, Beverly. That's Gloucester. Gloucester. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, it's how it's pronounced. Um, um, that. Ipswich, Raleigh, Amesbury, Marblehead, Chelmsford, Billerica, Haverhill. Um, Which these are all actually... These are real places. These are towns. They're nice-sized towns. Most of them are in England as well. Which is Um, why this is also called New England. Yeah. Um, But, so this is is in the whole area. Like I said, today, anybody of our listeners who's in the Boston area um, knows that these, you know, you can drive... I could drive within three hours and hit every one of these spots. But back then, you had to travel... Most of a day to get to any get between any of these places. So, yeah, this was really this is a time when this was all really isolated areas. So, but yeah, um, I believe also Andover was also where also some of the tipping point where people started like, okay, what's going on here? This isn't making any sense yeah, anymore. It's one of the biggest cities. Yeah, in there. this area. Yeah. Besides Boston, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so, initially the accused were social outcasts, but eventually no one was above suspicion. Mm-hmm. First accu- accusations during the Salem Witch Trials were against people who were, very, who were, for various reasons, marginalized by society. But the accusations didn't stop there. They soon spread to individuals regardless of their gender, class, or power in the community. Not even ministers could escape. George Burroughs had been named the village minister in 1680, but many disapproved of his religious views, and he often wasn't paid his salary. When he stopped being paid altogether, he left Salem. The Putnams, a prominent family he borrowed money from, sued Burroughs for unpaid debts and later accused him of witchcraft. 
Burroughs was brought back to Salem, tried, and executed. Eventually, the accusations ensnared even the most powerful people in Massachusetts. And like we said, the, the, governor. the governor's wife. Um, I really wonder... If- I, I, I wonder how who whose idea it was to do that. It had to have been Stoughton. Yeah. So the chief judge of Salem witch trials did not have a legal background. <laughs> William Stoughton, who presided over the Salem witch trials, like we said, studied theology at Harvard College and Oxford, but never became a minister and chose to enter politics instead. From 1671 to 1687, he served on the Council of Assistants, a judicial and rulemaking body for the colony. In June 1692, the Governor Phipps appointed Stoughton as chief judge and prosecutor in the Salem Witch Trials despite Stoughton's lack of legal experience. Perhaps some training in law would have constrained Stoughton's more extreme actions. Most importantly, Stoughton allowed spectral evidence during the trials so that an accuser could claim that an accused witch had appeared to them in a vision or hurt them within a dream. I sincerely doubt it would have done anything. This is a man who really strikes me as very politically savvy and pop and ambitious. So, give him a law degree, you probably just add more legitimacy to him. Probably make him even harder to stop. Now, the madness of the trials impacted babies and dogs, too. The madness of the witch trials eventually resulted in 200 people being accused of witchcraft, 140 to 150 arrests for witchcraft, and the hangings of 13 women and 6 men. But not just adult women and men were impacted by the trials. John Proctor's son was born in prison while his wife was in prison on witchcraft charges. Sarah Good also gave birth to her daughter Mercy while in custody. Witchcraft trials even targeted animals. Um, In 1692, in October, a girl in Andover accused a neighbor's dog of trying to bewitch her. Villagers shot the dog immediately. Stupid little girl. Around the same time in Salem Village, village girls accused a man of tormenting a different dog with his evil spirit. Villagers killed that second dog and sent the man fleeing for his life. These little shits. Yeah. These kids suck. Some of the accused were pardoned after playing guilty or being convicted. The collective delusion of witchcraft took more than a year to loosen its grip on Salem and its surrounding towns. After Governor Phipps... uh, wife faced accusations of witchcraft he outlawed spectral evidence in October 1692 um give me one second after that the next 33 witchcraft trials resulted in acquittals the three convicted individuals received pardons in May of 1693 Phipps released from prison all remaining accused or convicted witches that may release uh, that May release included Elizabeth Proctor, who had been found guilty of witchcraft in August of the previous year and sentenced to death, but had her execution postponed due to pregnancy. She is one of the most famous ones. I believe, if I remember correctly, the movie The Crucible with Daniel Day-Lewis um, featured the, pro- jo- the him Proctors. Him as J- yes. Proctors. Jim, John, Jim. John. Um, John Proctor is played by Daniel Day-Lewis, and I believe Winona Ryder played one of the accusers of uh, that accused him. And uh, if, now the movie differs something what from reality. Obviously, in this one, Elizabeth wasn't hanged. She was she was found guilty, but she didn't she didn't hang. I I want to say in the movie they hanged her. No, they didn't hang her. They hanged John. Yeah, Winona Ryder was Abigail Williams. Yes. And Joan Allen was Elizabeth Proctor. Um, 
Yeah, you forget how many big people were in this movie. It really, it's a great movie, and yet it didn't actually get as much, like, it's one of those movies that everyone forgets they made, because they always remember all the other bigger movies. Yeah, it is one of the best witch movies to watch. Um, so, let's see. Some of the alleged witches escaped. Not all of the accused witches who escaped hanging did so through the mercy of the governor. For instance, after being accused of witchcraft, Philip and Mary English were held for trial in Boston jail. Because of Philip English's wealth, he was allowed his freedom during the day and could rent rooms in the home of his jailer for himself, his wife, and daughter. On August 21, 1692, aided by two Boston ministers, Philip and Mary fled from New York, forfeiting $4,000 bond, 4,000 pound bond. Oh. Then. Because, again, this is before... We haven't had freedom dollars yet. Yeah. And leaving their daughter in the care of a friend. So, okay, hold on. Uh, 4,000 pounds in 1692. So... Let's see. One second. 1692... It would be the equivalent of $1.1 million today. Yeah. Which is, for back then... That's a lot of money. That man was rich, rich. And that was, and I would not be surprised if that was his entire wealth that they had to give Maybe, up. Maybe. But I would have. I mean, really. I, I'm, to I, be safe. He, now he's in... Now, now he's he in New York? Is in New York. Yeah, where they're sent... Well... There were sensible people there. Yeah. So this, yeah, he flees to New York, and then a little bit later, we have the revolution, <laughs> where a lot of that happened in New York. Yeah. So yeah. he probably, hell, he may have fought during the revolution. Well, he no, he would have been either very, very elderly, or he would have probably been dead. Depending so, on, I don't know. That de- would depend on how old he was when this all happened. 1692 to 1776, that's... Yeah. He it, put, if he he would have been really old. He would have been really old. Yeah, I don't know. But maybe yeah, I don't know. So the Salem witches conjured up famous descendants. If there is any consolation for some of the condemned witches of Salem, it may come from the fact that their families lived on long after them. Three presidents, William Howard Taft, Chester Arthur, and Gerald Ford have been said to descend from one of Salem's executed witches or their siblings. The late comedian Lucille Ball is the descendant of Rachel Vinson, who was acquitted in the witch trials. Hmm. Norman Rockwell, the famous painter and illustrator who created the cover illustrations for the Saturday Evening Post magazines for nearly five decades, was a descendant of Esther Dutch Elwell, accused of wickedly and feloniously sundry acts of witchcraft upon the body of Mrs. Mary Fitch. Um, and George Burroughs, the Puritan minister, had nine children before being hanged. His sixth great-grandson was Walt Disney. That place is witchcraft. No wonder it's making so much money. (laughs) Um, so, going back to the beginning, how all of this started is in mid-January 1692, Elizabeth Betty Paris, the nine-year-old daughter of the local Reverend Samuel Paris, and Abigail Williams, the Reverend's 11-year-old niece, 
were thought to be afflicted by witchcraft. The girls contorted their bodies into odd positions, made strange noises, and spoke gibberish, and seemed to be having fits. Soon, other girls, including Ann Putnam Jr., it's weird to see a female junior, and Elizabeth Hubbard, uh, started showing similar symptoms. By late February 1692, when traditional medicines and prayers failed to cure the girls, the Reverend called in local doctor William Griggs. He was the first to suggest the girls may be under the evil influence of witchcraft. Upon interrogation, the girls named Tatuba, the indigenous woman enslaved by the Paris family, Sarah Good, and Sarah Osborne as witches. Based on the girls' accusations, the witch hunt began. The warrants for the apprehension of Tatuba, Osborne, and Good were officially signed on February 29, 1692. Now, this is probably Tatuba was black or Native American. I thought she was... She, she was a part of an indigenous tribe. Okay. But I they, always thought... She, for some reason, I, I always thought she was Caribbean, or at least that's she, what I remember from yeah, the movie. She, she's an indigenous woman. Okay, so she's Native American. Yeah. So, she... She's not going to be liked anyways. Mm, so, yeah. they're going to do this just because. The other two probably told off the girls in the village one time, and got... They got mad at that, and they wanted them dead. Mm-hmm. Um, so, little is known about Tatuba besides her role in the witch trials. She was an enslaved woman believed to have been from Central America, captured as a child and taken to Barbados and brought to Massachusetts in 1680 by Reverend Paris. So, she's Central American, moved to Barbados, and then was slave trader from there. Um, Tatuba eventually confessed to using witchcraft, she crafted a tale detailing how the devil had come to her and asked her to do his bidding. According to her testimony, she had seen four women and a man, including Sarah Osborne and Sarah Good, asking her to hurt the children. She added a hog, a great black dog, a red rat, a black rat, a yellow bird, among other animals, to her story. Testimony added fuel to the fire and the witch hunt spiral out of control. Now that Tatuba had confirmed that satanic work was afoot and that there were other witches around, there was no stopping until they were all found. This, she is basically, I'm going to die anyway, so I'm going to spin a fucking tale. Maybe somebody will remember me. And assuming this is, this is, they're not torturing her, she's just not blurting out the first thing that she's saying in order to just tell them what they want in order to, you know, stop. Because, I mean, do, do we really honestly think that these people were using good Christian restraint on a, a slave? Well, that's, and that's the thing is... This, so, we talk about Christianity and the, how Christianity is supposed to have a loving nature and this and that, but just like anything else, it's twisted to benefit the people using it, just like Islam was twisted for Al-Qaeda and Mm -hmm. ISIS and all of that, so Mm -hmm. they did the same thing here. Um, so there was a special court established just for the Salem witch trials. The court of Oyer and Terminer was established in June 1692 because the witches tri- the witch trials were overwhelming the local jails and courts. Its name comes from the Anglo-French phrase Oyer et Termine, which literally translates to hear and determine. Upon Governor William Phipps' return from England, he realized the need for a new court for the witch trials. Lieutenant Governor William Stoughton served as its chief magistrate, and Thomas Newton as the Crown's prosecuting attorney. The court first convened on June 2nd, 
1692, with Bridget Bishop's case being the first to be adjudicated, it was shut down on October 29th, 1692. Um, we talked about spectral evidence, the men accused. Um, 14 women and 6 men were executed for witchcraft, and 5 others died in prison during the trials. One of those who perished in prison was only an infant, uh, Sarah Good's daughter. Um more than likely due to malnutrition. Yeah, they probably didn't... Oh, they probably left the baby sitting there. Yeah. And that's assuming that there wasn't any kind of already complications in there. Yeah. Um, So, after the Salem witch trials ended, there was an effort to restore the rights and dignity of the accused. After Governor Phipps put an end to the witch trials, only because of his wife, (laughs) many involved in the proceedings expressed guilt and remorse about the events that occurred, including the judge... Samuel Sewell and the governor himself. On January 14th, 1697, five years after the trials, the Massachusetts General Court ordered a day of fasting and prayers uh, so that so all God's people may offer up fervent supplications unto him for ye preservation and prosperity of his majesties. Guessing that's how the... Uh, his majesty, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, that's just how they worded it. Yeah. In 1702, the court declared the trials unlawful. No shit. Colony passed a bill in 1711, restoring the rights and good names to those accused and granting, granted 600 pounds retribution to their heirs. Alright, this was in 1711. So let's see. 600 pounds. What does 600 pounds get you? Today. 108,000. Uh-huh. Six figures. That's actually not that bad. Um... William Good, who lost his wife Sarah and infant daughter Mercy, and whose daughter Dorothy was in prison, was one of the people who received the largest settlement. I can imagine so, because, uh, good lord, that man's family was ripped apart. So, the funny thing is, Massachusetts only formally apologized for the witch trials in 1957. Uh... 200 years. Later, yeah. I'd love to know who they, who more, they apologized. More than 200 years. I'd love to know who they apologized to. The, I would, uh, if I remember, they, they did a whole statement and it was put out to all of those, the descendants of everybody. Because, again, like we sh- said, the presidents and all that, there are a lot of not famous descendants. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm honest to God. I mean, let to be honest. Yeah, you could say, oh, it took them a long time to ap- formally apologize. But if if we're really honest, we're so looking at there. They they their the actions really did more harm, did more good than you know saying, oh, we're sorry. Yeah, it's nice that they would have been nice if they said it back in the in the late early 1700s but i mean they declared the trials unlawful in 1702 1711 their rights and good names are restored legally and they're giving money everybody's giving money to a certain degree so i mean realistically they did actually did a lot i mean considering this is very shortly after i'm sure governor phipps probably took a big political hit on this a lot of people on this although he also would have Take gotten a lot of understanding because his wife was accused. But think about also this, though. He probably did this hurriedly because who is the person who put Stoughton in charge? Yeah. He Phipps gets a Phipps gets a pass in uh, 
in the legally and everything because he put a stop to it and he made and he he and he righted the wrongs. But realistically, this didn't. He only Stalin well, only went he, as far when only <coughs> could only go as far as Phipps allowed him, and he would allowed he, him to do it. Would he have put a stop to it as if his wife wasn't accused? Probably not, because think about it. He probably this is something about he him. Washed his hands of it most because of the time. he probably personally speaking. This, again, I folks out there, I try to lead about politics, and I'm looking at the political side of this. Fifth Polly doesn't give two rats asses about witchcraft. He probably he's living in Boston. He's probably very well educated. So the idea of witchcraft and these little things to him are something his grandfather would have, his grandfather, great grandfather would have done back in England. So it's like, what do we do? Witches? Whatever. I don't care. What, I don't care what a bunch of these these hillbillies I'm just or these backwoods country folk are doing. He's 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 placating them because he needs their vote. He needs their support for his governorship and everything, so that they actually you know pay their taxes and obey the laws and everything like that. So he's doing he does just enough to placate them, but he's not hands on. He's not a big believer. But then when his, when his political future is now at stake, he steps in and he ends it. Yeah. And he makes it so and he makes everything right. Does he is he right to do it? Yeah, absolutely. But again, he, he shouldn't have let it go in there in the first place. Um, so before we close, I want to talk about five notable women hanged. Mm-hmm. So the first is Bridget Bishop. When the special court of Oyer and Terminer convened in Salem Town in early June, first case it heard was against Bridget Bishop, a local widow, as the prosecutor assumed her case would be easy to win. Bishop had been accused of witchcraft more than a decade earlier, but was acquitted for lack of evidence. She also fit everyone's idea of a witch, elderly, poor, and argumentative. Ten witnesses testified against Bishop, and she was quickly found guilty and sentenced to death. On June 10, she was taken to Proctor's Ledge near Gallows Hill in Salem and hanged by the neck until she was dead, according to the report of the sheriff who escorted her. So, Bridget Bishop was basically ye old Karen. Basically. Uh, Sarah Good. By then, signs of the opposition to the Salem witch trials had begun to surface. Several ministers questioned whether the court relied too much on spectral evidence or testimony about the ghostly figures, which is supposedly sent to afflict their victims. Everyone assumed there were specters who could do it, says Margo Burns, a New Hampshire-based historian specializing in the Salem witch trials. That was not disputed, but what was disputed was whether the devil could send the shape of an innocent person to afflict. Still, when the court of Oyer and Terminer reconvened on June 28th, after its success convicting Bishop, Sarah Good was quickly convicted and sentenced to death. Several of the afflicted girls claimed Good Spectre attacked them, and Tatuba and several others had named her as a fellow witch in their confessions, claiming she flew on a broomstick and attended witches' gatherings. On July 19, Good was carted to Gallows Hill and executed along with a church-going grandmother, Rebecca Nurse, and three other convicted witches. Susanna Martin didn't even live in Salem, but Amesbury, Massachusetts. Like Bishop, she had been accused of witchcraft before, but the charges had been dropped for lack of evidence. Her bad reputation may have spread to Salem by 1692 when four of the afflicted girls in Salem accused her by name, claiming her specter had attacked them. 
When the court asked them how they knew the Spectre was Martin's, the girl said, oh, she said her name was Goody Martin and she was from Amsbury, Burns recounts. They didn't even have to recognize her. Despite the general lack of evidence against her, Martin was also convicted and hanged on July 19th, the same day as Sarah Good. Martha Carrier, when the court of Oyer and Terminer met for a third session in early August 1692, it heard the case of Martha Carrier from Andover, uh, which would be home to more accused witches more than any other town. Her family was very unpopular. Uh, they were thought to have brought smallpox to Andover. Ooh. After Carrier was accused, the authorities interrogated her two teenage sons, torturing them into confessing to witchcraft themselves and implicating their mother. Um, in The Wonders of the Invisible World, his famous account of Salem Witch Trials, Cotton Mather memorably called Carrier a rampant hag who aspired to be Queen of Hell. The court convicted Carrier in the same session as two prominent male victims of the witch hunts, John Proctor and Reverend George Burroughs, whom people suspected of being the ringleaders of Salem's witches. On August 19th, Carrier went to Gallows Hill along with Proctor, Burroughs, and two other men. She was the only woman executed that day. And then finally, Martha Corey. Like Rebecca Nurse, Martha, or Nurse, sorry, Martha Corey was far from the usual witch suspect, who tended to be a poor outcast. She was a covenanted member of her church and was considered an upstanding member of the community, but Martha had attracted suspicion after she had tried to stop her husband Giles from attending one of the early examinations in the witch trials, even going as far to hide his saddle. Shortly after this, one of the afflicted girls accused Martha of bewitching her and turning her blind. Martha's defiant attitude turned court officials against her, and Giles refused to corroborate her testimony and even testified against her, at least until he himself was accused. Less than two weeks after Martha was found guilty and sentenced to death, Giles was pressed to death after he refused to enter a plea in his own trial. September 22nd, Martha Corey went to the gallows along with seven other convicted witches in what would be the last hanging of the Salem Witch Trials. And, I mean, that's really it. Uh, after that, again, uh, they declared a day of fasting and paid money. They also, if you actually go to Salem now, um, which, guess what, guys? The, there's a big thing where everybody tries to go to Salem during Halloween. It is horrible. It is packed. It is crammed. It is impossible to walk through. There are seven-hour waits for restaurants. Ugh. Guess what? It's the same all year round. Just go in the fucking summer. Yeah. Um, it's nice weather and you yeah, can... Just go during the summer. I plan on going soon. I, I want to go. Um, but there's actually a, a memorial statue for all of the witches that were hung. Um, and basically that was part of their thing that they did too is they built a memorial to them. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're... Then there was Arthur Miller created the play The Crucible mm -hmm. um, in 1953, and he used them as an allegory for the anti-communist witch hunts led by Senator Joseph McCarthy in the 50s. Um, and then there was a memorial to the victims in Salem Witch Trials, like I said, uh, in 1992 is when they established that. And that was by author and Holocaust survival, uh, Ellie Weasel. Yep. 
Um, and then, of course, The Crucible becomes a movie. But, yeah, I mean, that's basically it for the Salem Witch Trials. I mean, there's a lot to unpack and there's not at the same time. Yeah, I mean, realistically, they kind of... They they did... The, they ended almost really as soon as they began. They just, they just, they didn't last like for decades. People weren't hiding in basements for years and years. It was really a ver- some very. It was still a very bad time. It's but not it like was, the Holocaust. No, it wasn't like that. It was just. Um, I, I think the this is probably the early stages of what we see today as like mob mentality and. Social hysteria, where everybody wants to jump on the bandwagon and accuse everybody, and it's sad. Just not to get too political, but it's sad that even today, after having all the evidence and the seeing the lessons from the Salem witch trials, we just seem to keep <laughs> keep repeating the same mistakes well, with the cancel culture and everything like that. We're just like, yeah, nobody's getting you know killed nowadays, but still, it's. Oh, and that's, that's why I said that um, there are a ton of witches that still exist to this day. Uh, witchcraft is a big thing, and it's, of course, growing up in that world of witchcraft is bad, it's evil, summons the devil, all of that. If you look into it more, there's obviously there are parts to it that are like that. Then there's other parts that are not like that. You can, you're very helpful, and there's white witches are a thing, um, and so. But I think that people are scared to talk about being a witch because they're afraid that Salem's going to happen all over again. Because people in the eighties we had. The Satan. Satanic Panic. Guess what? It's still around. Satanic Panic is still around. I I work at a public place, and I talk about Dungeons & Dragons all the time. And you should see the older people's faces when I talk about Dungeons & Dragons. Mm-hmm. That, that is like, I'm just, I just pulled out a pentagram and worship Satan right there. Like it, it's very a very real thing, and but I also think so. Back then, women did not have a voice. No, they didn't at all. They were property more than people, and I think if something like the witch trials were to happen today, I don't think it would end well for the accusers. No, because no. people are going to stand up. We now also have social media. Yeah, people are a lot more accepting now. Uh, for the most part, and I I think that it would severely backfire. And believe it or not, people there are probably more witches than non witches out there. Oh yeah, I... and yeah, I don't think you want to get on their bad side. Yeah, my experience with witches and everything is that everyone's pretty benign and some of the most welcoming people. Yeah, it's and this is coming from a Christian that it's. This is a sad part of Christian. I don't even want to associate this with Christianity because Christianity really is kind of takes a really takes a back seat to this because everything. If you really you read the transcripts and you read everything, everything always reads as personal. This is 
this was personal and something probably like like you said some contaminated food or water sparks it off somebody jumps on an opportunity and then everybody just starts settling their scores religion really honestly only plays like a secondary role in this whole thing just simply because um yeah the ministers are key witnesses and they're they're really relying on theology, but everything is really based on backwards superstitions that have yeah, nothing but, to do with anything. Yeah, but they're also claiming that every single witch is summoning the devil. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I said, like, like I said, I'm not saying religion isn't playing a part in it. I'm saying is mostly it's taking a back seat. And you were accused, and Satan told you to do this, right? Yeah, yeah. He was this person who's always been mean to me and been just a horrible person to community. Yeah, the the devil, he's there in league with the devil. It's like, right, exactly, yeah, the devil. That's yeah. it. So, this is a sad hit part of American history, and... Technically not American history. Well, it's... Technically, think, but for, America before America. Yeah, but, I mean, these people, most, a lot of these people are, have been born in this time frame. Massachusetts Bay Colony's been... More or less established for some time now, so these people may not be Americans in in the sense of the American, you know, citizens of a United States government, but these people are are born here, so they're more or less proto-Americans. So, um, I mean, this is it, like I said, and this is always taken in the concept of American history, not British yeah. history. But yeah, so that is the Salem Witch Trials. Um, we want to thank our new show writer. We <laughs> now have a show writer. Um, Ben's wife, Pam, is, has agreed to go ahead and write all of this stuff for us. Um, and so basically she's our show writer behind the scenes and getting all of our topics ready and researching for us. So, uh, we want to thank her for that. Um... And, uh, yeah, so, I want to thank you all for visiting the Scarlet Tavern. Remember to turn in your glasses, push in your seats, and as always, tip the bard. Good night, everybody. Good night.